Welcome to the Garbage Pod. One pod, one load of garbage. 29 and 28. Remanded in custody. There's something curious about this broadcast. Hello everybody and welcome to this special edition of the Garbage Pod. Special because you join me on an occasion that is almost like a holiday for podcasters all over the world where we get recognised for all the hours we put into creating content, editing and bonding with our listeners. I'm talking of course about International Podcast Day. So what exactly is International Podcast Day? Well, have a listen to this. International Podcast Day is September 30th and you can help spread the word. You may be asking, what can I do to get involved? It's pretty simple. Head over to internationalpodcastday.com and check the suggestions. Then use hashtag internationalpodcastday to join the conversation. You can reach out and connect with other podcasters, listeners, and your favorite podcast hosts. Remember September 30th, International Podcast Day, a day-long celebration of the power of podcasts. International Podcast Day was created by Steve and Dave Lee, who are our father and son podcast production team, and I had the pleasure of catching up with Dave Lee on the run-up to the inaugural International Podcast Day event back in 2014, and you can listen to the interview on the show notes for this episode. I'm going to take a short break, but in the meantime, I'll hand it over to Dave and Steve to end this section of the show, and when I return, we'll crack on with the main part of the show. Thank you so much to the community, the podcasting industry, the podcasters, auto enthusiasts, everybody who's who isn't behind the mic, but everybody that gets out there and rate and reviews and sends tweets to their favorite podcasters and shows up and shares on social media. There's the day has really taken a life of its own. And once again, thank you from the bottom of my heart for making this possible. We can do our part, but the the community is what what makes this make or break. And every year we continue to make it, but we also continue to break records, which means we trend more, which means more people are interested in podcasting, which means more people are listening. You know, the global pandemic with the uh, coronavirus and COVID-19 really shifted, uh, shifted how podcasters record, how they distribute their content, how they, uh, how their consumption. And as, as audio enthusiasts and audio, uh, uh, you know, consumers, we had to adapt and we had to new, find new ways to continue to listen where, you know, we weren't going to the gyms and we weren't riding in the cars and we weren't taking the subways and public transit and these things, but we always persevere and we're always adaptable. And I think that's ultimately how podcasts were born, that there was a need, there was a demand, and we always find a way to get around that. So we're, we're an incredible, flexible, innovative, and adaptable breed of podcasters. And thank you so much to the industry that continues to to change and adapt and modify and, and, you know, sort of rebirth itself year after year. It's just incredible. I have never seen the world so energized in celebration of podcasts. And that happy International Podcast Day now is almost like saying happy New Year, happy Independence Day, happy whatever. I want to encourage people to really strive for excellence, number one. Number two... Do not give up. You and I have been podcasting since 2007. We've had ups, we've had downs. But the thing that is the most important 
We have fun with it. We really have fun doing it, and we enjoy it, and that's what keeps us dry. If you ever have the opportunity at a water cooler, at a grocery store to say, have you ever heard of a podcast? Let me show you. You might enjoy this. You'd be amazed at their response. We have to evangelize this storytelling, this discussion, this informational electronic medium to tell the world, here I am. It's the most intimate thing there is to have somebody put an earbud in their ear and you speak to them. Powerful. We can change a world through the voices of podcasting, not through traditional mediums. It's the love of the art that we love, the commitment we have, because most of us all do it for free, and we add value back into the world that we live. That's my recommendation. That's my challenge. And I think that should be our passion to carry forward until next September 30th. Happy International Podcast Day. Take care. to the garbage pod for our international podcast day special in the garbage pod vaults is a lot of archive content that is not currently available to listen to due to various changes to the brand over the years and we wanted a chance to rectify this so we're going to re-release some of these hidden gems that some of you may not have heard and for others it will be like taking an audio nostalgia trip some of the information in the content may be a little bit dated so bear this in mind when you listen For this year's International Podcast Day show, I decided to bring you a recording of the first celebrity interview that my then co-hosts Adri Mallows and John Witts and I conducted back in 2013. Unfortunately, Adri and John are no longer part of the Garbage Pod family due to commitments, but hopefully they'll make an appearance on the show in the future. We had the opportunity to chat with podcaster and legendary 80s and 90s children TV show presenter Gareth Jones, or Gaz Top, as he was known back in the day. So we joined the conversation as I asked Gareth how he would describe himself. It's a tricky one, because it does vary. Um, a bit like someone's accent, depending who you're talking to, you know? <laughs> um, I describe myself as a science communicator primarily these days, but I think that's probably inaccurate. I'm I'm sort of a factual communicator. There are a lot of people on television uh, because they can tell jokes or they can sing songs or, you know, juggle or something. But I I guess I was on TV because I can infuse about facts that I've picked up along the way. 
my father was an electronics engineer and he got me very interested in engineering, science and technology when I was young. And so, you know, he used to sort of do to me what I've done to, you know, the UK television children's audience for 25 years. He would confuse about things, you know. So um, how would I describe myself? TV presenter, uh, enthusiast, I like cars, I like uh, spacecraft and Star Trek and lots of other things as well. <laughs> Some of you out there might know Gareth by a name that was used in his earlier career, which was Gaztop, but I know you're not too keen on that being used too frequently. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't mind uh, at all uh, admitting that I was Gaztop a long time ago. No, I'm very proud of that uh, ridiculously haired, lisping ex roadie I was when I first appeared on television. Uh, it's just that. From about 1989, I, I returned to using my real name, Gareth Jones, primarily for two reasons. I wanted people to know I was a Welshman, and I wanted people to try and take me seriously. I don't think anyone ever did. <laughs> uh, uh, but the idea was that maybe one day I might get to present the BBC's flagship science programme, Tomorrow's World. That was always an ambition. And I figured, you know, they're never going to give that gig to someone called Gaz Top, are they? It's just too silly. So I figured, yep, that time I was Gareth Jones. Gaz Top was only ever a nickname anyway. Yeah, they gave uh, a similar kind of programme to a guy called Dallas Campbell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I believe is an anagram of uh, something very sensible. <laughs> <laughs> Where did the name Gaz Top come from? Well, I was a roadie uh, for a band back in, I think it was 1979 or 1980. Uh, they were called 17 back then, the band, but they, they later became The Alarm. And uh, Mike Peters, who's the lead singer of the band, and I went to see... The Sex Pistols movie, The Great Rock and Roll Swindle, together. And there's a line in that film which goes, um, it's, it's sort of delivered a bit like a Pathé newsreel. It goes, These four unlovable spiky tops swindled their way to the top. They didn't care about the music. They were purely into chaos. I, it made me giggle, the idea of spiky tops. <laughs> and at the time, I had spiky-topped hair. You know, it was, the, it was the 80s or the late 70s, very spiky hair. And, and so did Mike Peters. And so uh, I started calling him Spiky Top, and he started calling me Gagsy Top, Gagsy being short for Gareth. And that became Gaz Top. And then when the fans of the band uh, collected autographs, not only the band, but the real hardcore fans got autographs from the road crew as well. I, as a joke, I started signing it Gaz Top, you know, <laughs> like that was my stage name or something. And it sort of stuck, and I just became known as Gaz Top, the alarm roadie. And when I started on television, I, I took the name with me. So you must have rubbed shoulders with some serious uh, musos in, in those days then. Yeah, yeah, we... Uh, you know, it was the 80s, so here comes a long list of 80s musicians that uh, uh, The Alarm and 17 uh, played with. Um, we played with The Boomtown Rats, The Beat, Flock of Seagulls, Dexy's Midnight Runners, uh, The Stray Cats, and U2. And I actually ended up being a bit of a U2 roadie for six weeks in America on the war tour wow. uh, because the alarm was a support band for U2. Uh, as soon as the alarm was finished, I then became Bono's roadie for the second part of the gig. Uh, so I, I know those lads. Well, we, we knew them very well anyway before they sort of broke. That's why I got um, pulled on board. So I've noticed they're all, all bands with big hair. 
Well, it was of the period, and I sort of fitted in well with my hair. So, yeah, no, you know, completely normal in those days to have hair, as it is to be uh, grey now, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, how did the transition from being a roadie to being a television presenter come about? It, it happened very quickly. The first clue was when I was in the States... The Alarms record label in the States, IRS, also had a TV production wing, and they made a program for MTV in the States that was called The Cutting Edge. And because it was the Alarms label's TV program, every time the Alarm were in the States, they would interview them. And, of course, this was fine for, like, three or four visits. But then um, after that, they were kind of getting desperate things to talk to them about. And once uh, one of the members of the band said, no, no, don't, don't interview us this time. Uh, talk to Gaz. You know, he'll cook you a, a meal. He'll do a spag ball or something and tell you some good rock and roll stories, which is, you know, I, I used to feed the band when we all lived together as well. And so they invited me to do this. And on the day or the, the week that we were supposed to do this, our tour was rescheduled and we left Los Angeles and had to go over to New York to play with the Pretenders. So, um, that gig that I'd been asked to do, I, I, I had to let them down. I couldn't do it. But it, it planted in my mind the idea that, well, maybe I could do some TV if American TV is interested in talking to me. But it was only sort of the back of the mind idea. I was very happy as a roadie. You know, I was traveling the world, uh, playing rock and roll with my four best mates in the world. You know, it doesn't get better than that. And getting paid for it, of course. But when I got back to the UK a few years later, a couple of years later, an old pal of mine who used to be in a band with me in North Wales had been for a screen test for a new music channel called Music Box starting up in the UK. He didn't get the job. He said, oh, you should go for it because, you know, we used to do you theatre and you together and I know you can perform and I, I know you've got stories to tell about rock and roll. Go down. So uh, I marched into this office for a company called Music Box in London and uh, they said that they, having interviewed me, they wanted to do a screen test and about three or four days later, I got my own very first uh, TV program, my own TV show. The whole thing took about four days, the transition from roadie to TV presenter. And it wasn't like a deliberate career, long-term thing. You know, it just sort of, okay, this is what I'm doing now. And that was in January 1985, and I'm more or less still broadcasting some uh, almost 30 years later. Wow, so that was well before the launch of uh, MTV in the UK then. Yes, it was, yeah. Um, Music Box started in the UK in 84. I joined in 85 and did it till 86 when uh, I made the transition to uh, Get Fresh, the Saturday morning programme I did in the UK. So what kind of people did you actually interview or uh, have you got any interesting uh, stories about uh, some of the interviews or whatever you conducted on the Music Box? I, re I remember uh, interviewing Gary Newman and really not wanting to talk about music at all. I mean, I was a fan of Gary, and still am a, a fan of electronic music, definitely Gary Newman. But uh, I knew that at the time, you know, he was getting into aircraft. He had enough money to buy an old Harvard. And uh, I really just wanted to talk to him about aircraft. <laughs> but I, I seem to remember getting told off at some point. You know, no one else knew what you were talking about. It's okay to mention these things, but I was genuinely interested. So um, Gary Newman, 
it was always very tricky interviewing the alarm when they turned up because I knew everything that they were doing. Them and <laughs> they would be best mates. That, that was very hard. Do you remember a band called King Kurt? Uh, they were sort of a, they called themselves a psycho Billy band. Yes. Uh, out yes. of control. Um, um, they, they were very hard to interview. That was, that was a very tough interview. Even Ian McCulloch from um, Echo and the Bunnymen, who I got to know, uh, Ian, I was very, very drunk on an interview one day and it was a hopeless interview. But the best thing about being on Music Box was I got to interview my, you know, number one heroes of all time, uh, the members of the band known as Slade. Uh, You know, I interviewed Noddy, Don, Jim and Dave uh, and then managed to organise getting them in for a a big interview, in in which case I turned into a a documentary about Slade called Perseverance, which I believe is on YouTube somewhere. Oh, right. uh, of which um, Slade fans argue is the definitive Slade documentary, which I, as a Slade fan, I'm enormously proud of. Uh, and that was in, like in my first year of television, so I was making it up as I went along. But to make a program about your heroes and then to get to know your heroes, that, that was the best thing about Music Box. Just recently watched a documentary on BBC4 about um, Slade, actually. It was quite interesting because it, it just seems really weird that Noel Gallagher is really into Slade. Yeah, he's a huge Slade fan. And you can hear it. You can hear it. Just the, the, the slur on his guitar is a bit like um, Noddy Holder's style at the start of uh, Take Me Back Home or come on feel the noise you, you can hear that drag across the string well they did they did a cover of it didn't they come on feel the noise yeah. Noel Gallagher rates how does it feel as his uh, number one uh, of all time uh, Slade song and I wouldn't disagree it's a tremendous song because I, I, I remember on this documentary that uh, Dave Hill was going on about the uh, where the name and the title of Come on, feel the noise came from, and it is literally the the, the sound of the the crowd. Yeah, that <laughs> was me. That was me. I was making most of that sound, screaming my head <laughs> off. You can hear Slade in Gareth Jones on Speed. You know, you can hear Slade in uh, Oasis, and you can hear Slade in my car podcast, Gareth Jones on Speed. The signature ident oh, for the yes. program because it goes. Yeah, 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 Crichton, what are you doing, man? Oh, sir, I'm listening to The Garbage Pod. It's a podcast I found in the podosphere. From the the music box, it leads us to the subject that uh, made me believe that Twitter works, um, yep. mainly because I just started using Twitter and I wanted to get hold of the theme tune for the TV show that Gareth hosted called Get Fresh. Um, So I put a tweet out asking if anybody knew where I could source it from. And uh, within 30 minutes, I received a reply from Gareth asking me for my email address so that he could send me an MP3 of the theme tune. Yeah, well, I like to help out when I can. (laughs) And uh, it was amazing because you were were telling me that the the theme tune had been composed by none other than um, Mick Jones from The Clash. That's right. and, Uh, uh, And Big Audio Dynamite. Yeah, I was enormously proud of that. You know, um, I never set out to be a kids' TV presenter. You know, I wanted to be either the first Welshman on the moon or the, Jimmy Lee, the bass player in Slade. So uh, when I did eventually get pulled out to do kids' television for ITV, the fact that this was a quite a cool, dark 
program. You know, we, we were in this very giga-looking spacecraft, uh, and the fact that the theme tune was written by a member of The Clash, you know, that made everything okay for me. That allowed me to transition to kids' TV. Mick Jones, when uh, Big Audio Dynamite folded up and he revamped the group and called them Bad 2, um, which I actually like their first album, The Globe, as Bad 2, because you listen to the album, there's so many samples from classic tracks. There's The Who, there's Ultravox, there's Kate Bush. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, well, in fact, on the uh, on this latest project, Carbon Silicon, which is Mick Jones and Tony James from CC Sputnik, they they use a Slade sample. Uh, come off with the noise, actually, I think. I oh, know Mama. It's, it's a sample from Mama. We're all crazy now, and you know, for me, a, a combination of Mick Jones and Slade and CC Sputnik all in one, I could be happier. Yeah, I um, a friend of mine from work actually told me uh, about them, and I was I was like whoa I've got to hear this you know this Zig Zig Sputnik Mick Jones crossover I thought where can this go <laughs> yeah yeah it makes perfect sense if you think about it I mean they're old allies though too they go way back to uh, uh, Generation X of course and Chelsea uh, I think uh, let me think about this was Tony James in the original lineup of Chelsea the punk band quite possibly and Chelsea and The Clash were two sides of the same coin a, a long time ago so yeah they've been mates a very long time it was Generation X that was Billy Idol wasn't it yeah that's right, yeah. yeah. Billy Idol was a singer. Um, Martin Durwood Andrews, is that his name, on guitar? Mm-hmm. Tony James on bass. I forget who the drummer was completely, but love Gen X. Excellent. What was it like working on a Saturday morning TV show of that scale? I mean, before you, you had all these classic shows that you had to yeah. fill the shoes of, as, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, the only one that really mattered to me previously was Tiswatch, which was a really anarchic children's program of the late 70s early 80s and uh, it it left a lasting effect on children's TV you know it brought gunge pretty much to television and there was some gunge in, in Get Fresh but it was a very different show. It had a strong factual base, bizarrely, um, Get Fresh, whereas Tiz Wars was a studio-based programme. Get Fresh went around the country and was made by a different ITV company every week. One week it was HTV in Wales, next week it was Scottish Television, then TSW in, in the southwest. And so it was a bit ropey around the edges because, you know, no one ever got to do the programme long enough to get it right. Everyone had a go and thought, well, we'll get it better next time. And um, we would go and, and do items about the region that we were in you know when we're in scotland we do a thing about bagpipes and kilts and when we were in devon we do a thing about making ice cream and butter and uh when we're in wales we do something about uh, well i remember doing something about satellites in wales actually because uh swansea university were involved in the development of uh uh, the Giotto space probe, if I wow. recall, back in 86. So, yeah, I was doing factual stuff even then, even though it was a Saturday morning entertainment show. I'd already started to explain stuff to people, and that's what I tend to do even to this day. I've, I've actually found a clip from Get Fresh. It was an episode where you... Uh, we're going to be talking to uh, a specialist about space exploration and a former shuttle astronaut. And um, you seemed very over 
excited. <laughs> really? The, was it? Oh, wow, I don't even remember this. Who was it? it wasn't Robert Overmeyer, was it? The, I think uh, it was, yes. I really? How about that? And, uh, Do you know, I've completely forgotten that. Is that on <laughs> YouTube somewhere? Well, the, the interview, I don't know about the interview, but the actual start-up of the programme, when, you, when uh, you, you, you're there and you've got this book about the space shuttle and you're sort of... <laughs> You can see in your seat the energy as you want to talk about it and go, oh, shuttle and excellent, you know. And I wonder, actually, if that was from Sunday Get Fresh, which was the studio-based recorded show that we did. Saturday Get Fresh was live, but we did do, for the second and third season, a whole bunch of other programmes that were done in a studio in Carlisle. And I interviewed Nigel McKnight, who had written a book called Shuttle, and he'd, uh, he later arranged for me to go and have a tour of John F. Kennedy Space Center. Uh, so I went into the VAB and I went into the Orbiter Processing Facility and uh, I even got to touch Atlantis on a later trip. Wow. Uh, but he sort of opened up NASA to me. He gave me a contact there. And uh, I, I, it's, again, one of the great pleasures, like... Like you, I know someone who's passionate about space exploration. Yes. To have the opportunity to have access to the most exciting place on the planet, John F. Kennedy Space Center, was a dream come true. Because I've I've been to uh, KSC as well, uh, yeah. and Adri has been to Johnson, haven't you, Adri? Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah, I went to uh, Houston Space Center about three years ago now. Fantastic experience, and uh, got the grand tour, and got to sit in mission control or the old mission control, and yeah, yeah, phenomenal. Wow! Oh, did did they have any space hardware there? Because I like space hardware. The one thing I I remember the most actually is um, going into a hangar where they've got a disused uh, rocket, and it's just ridiculously big. You can't comprehend the size of it till you see it in person. It's one of yeah. the uh, like the like they've got at uh, Kennedy. It's one of the Saturn Fives. It's uh, Apollo Twenty, isn't it? I think at um, uh, at Johnson. What would have been Apollo Twenty? I think. <laughs> yeah, it could have been actually. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just phenomenal. Great experience. Great day out. Um, because I was out there for uh, the launch of uh, STS-101 uh, back in 2000, and uh, it was just an amazing feeling more than anything else. You've seen a shuttle launch live. Where yeah. were you for it? Virtually right by the, uh, the countdown oh. clock. Wow, that's about so, as close uh, as you can get, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We were more worried about the alligators more than anything else because you could just say those from where we were. It's interesting what you say about being a feeling. I was describing someone to someone the other day how I'd witnessed, I think it was an Atlas II uh, launch uh, many years ago when I was in Florida. And uh, you feel it sort of popping and crackling on your face. Yeah. You know, it, it is, apart from being an emotional feeling, there is a, a tangible, physical thing when the the ground shakes and you feel the sound rather than simply hear it. it and that was just a, a little old atlas. I can't imagine what those two SRBs and uh, the SSMEs would have sounded like. The feel of it, it was almost like somebody punching you in the chest. It was really an unusual feeling. Um, wow. <laughs> you, you, you can't really describe it and that was a shuttle and I thought to myself how would a Saturn V have been yeah wouldn't you love to hear those what do you call them F, J1 engines F1 engines F1s yeah F1s just tearing away at the fabric of uh, 
space time is, which is what they do, really, I think. I don't know if the other guys know about this, but recently they've reconfigured how they were going to get to the space station. They've taken a different route, as it were, um, uh, where it used to take two days to get to the space station. They can now do it in six and a half hours. I, I reckon the, the way that they're achieving this is that they have... Uh, actually invented warp drive and what they're doing is they're <laughs> folding the space between Kazakhstan and the point 300 miles up where the ISS orbits and, and really jump that, that, that void. And they're building a small wormhole basically. Well, that's the only way they could possibly do this in my opinion. Yeah, something to do with dark matter somewhere along the line. I oh, feel. it's always dark matter. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, even Ariane Space have got um, the Soyuz now as well. Um, from- that's right. They launched that from Guyana. In fact, I wrote a format for a television program recently called uh, Space on Earth, uh, which is essentially a tour of what is, in my opinion, some of the most exciting places on Earth, where they launch spacecraft. And at French Guyana, the reason for going to French Guyana was to stand next to the new pit that they've built for the Zoyas over there and go, look, they're launching Russian rockets. Europeans are launching Russian rockets in South America. How international is that, you know? <laughs> uh, and then to go to, um, uh, I forget the name of the Chinese launch facility, but I'd love oh. to see uh, Shenzhou being launched. Uh, I, I just China. love the way that when that's on the platform, the, the way that the, the different stages open up on the gantries, they just... It's gorgeous, it, isn't it? It's weird. It, I've never seen anything like it. And the fact... I, that- I, love, I love the Chinese attitude to manned space flight as well, because whereas... Um, uh, you know, the, the American uh, space launches, you know, everything is big talk. Five, four, three, two, one. And the Russian launches, they're all very damped down. It's all very, okay, pleased to go on space now. But the Chinese, they do it happily. They applaud and they cheer and they wave from their, their capsule as they're being launched into space. And that's a wonderful thing to witness. If you look at the, the amount of space, or not space, the amount of time that it's taken the Chinese to get where they are now. It's they amazing. They're going to have uh, warp drive themselves in less than six months at present uh, <laughs> rates of development, aren't they? I really do think if um, we do go back to the moon, it's going to be the Chinese who get there first. Well, they've set a target, I believe, of um, certainly orbiting the moon by 2020. Uh, how they will achieve that, I'm not sure. Whether they're just going to send one of their Shenzhou's with the um, what's that little orbital space station that they've got attached to it oh. into a uh, sort of an Apollo 8 free return trajectory, or perhaps an Apollo 13 free return trajectory. Yeah. But as soon as they attempt a landing on the moon, you can guarantee America won't let them do that and will need to be there first. So mm. it's good news. Well, it is, because all this, uh, what I call new space, commercial yeah. space, as it, as it like, it started a new space race. Yeah, I, that's right. That's the premise of my program, Space on Earth, that the space race is back on. It's just that no one's told you it started yet. <laughs> and what with these... Um, uh, I don't know if you've heard about these companies that are now asking people to start crowdfunding for um, uh, asteroid mining. Yeah, well, it's um, it's a long shot, but I love uh, expanding the, uh, the the limits of possibilities, and uh, if we really can 
mine asteroids. That's a very interesting theory. But what will it do to the value of precious metals on Earth? That we is suddenly discover problem. a new supply. Uh, it could cause a, a big financial crash on Earth, in my opinion. Yeah, interesting. It could well do. But I mean, it's not the only reason for them mining the asteroids because they're looking for also for different new forms of fuels and things that. that or help them to get to Mars and, and things. Yeah, it's all very self-serving. If we go to space in order to keep us going to space, then in my books, that's a good reason to go to space. Well, yeah, absolutely. Why not? Right, I could go on for ages talking about yeah. space to me. <laughs> yeah, we've got to wrap this soon. It's, it's half an hour. Those poor people listening are going to be bored, aren't they? <laughs> I try not to make any episode of my car podcast longer than about 30 minutes because at that point at least I know people are perhaps getting thirsty or need the toilet. <laughs> well, I think we, we should talk about a little bit about um, your, your current projects that you're involved with. Yeah. For example, your, your podcast. Yeah, I've started making a car podcast uh, called Gareth Jones on Speed uh, back in... I think it was 2005 we did the uh, the first season. So this is now season nine. And it's an extraordinary hit. I'm, I'm very pleased that along the way I've been involved in some programs. It's been a big hit. Get Fresh was a big hit. How Two was a big hit. And uh, it seems that on speed is as well. You know, we, we, we had something like 600,000 uh, downloads last year. Uh, which is quite an achievement for something which, you know, is recorded in my living room uh, with a, a, a bit of enthusiasm and the desire to get it out there and very little support. But um, it, it's a bit of a hit. It's usually number two in the iTunes uh, audio automotive podcast chart, which wow. is tremendous news. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm very proud, but we put a lot of effort into it. You know, uh, uh, many podcasts are simply two or three people just chatting, but we, we, we do the chat thing, three people chatting, but we also do sketches and songs and interviews. You know, we, we, we go places and we hear the sound of cars. You know, it, it's a it's an overproduced podcast, if I'm honest. You know, not many shows, bespoke podcasts have this amount of... Uh, production time put into them and you know I, maybe I spend too much time on it but it's the only thing I know because um, I, I know your love for, for motor racing is uh, it was quite extensive really um, and, and I know, know Adri wanted to uh, ask you a couple of things about uh, motor racing oh Adri I would talk about F1 all day but that's what I do on Gareth Jones on speed so perhaps I shouldn't hear <laughs> no, I'll make sure I check that out Excellent plug for the show, though. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, you know, something I learned from a book many years ago, uh, a book you might want to read called uh, Expensive Habits, written by a man called Simon Garfield, which was about rock and roll. And in it, he makes this wonderful statement. He says, hits don't happen they are made. And that's what Vettel's doing right now. And that's what I've always done with Gareth Jones on Speed. I worked hard at making it a hit because it you know, isn't going to happen organically. And if you do that, you've got to, you give it its best chance. And I can see that you're doing the same with the garbage pod too. Well done. Yeah, it's it's been a long time coming, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, it was an idea that has been buzzing around my head since probably 2009 and we went live in 2011 and uh, it's been growing and and this year I, I've decided to, to try and make this the uh, kind of a, 
a podcaster's podcast, if you like, uh-huh. so that I can, um, you know, endorse other other podcasts and that they can come online and the Garbage Pod can hopefully be brought to another audience and whoever I've got on, on the show, uh, their podcasts can be brought to our audience as well. Excellent plan. Good luck with it. You know, it is a community. Podcasters work in isolation and uh you know uh, this is perhaps the nearest thing we're ever going to get to a union doing something like this so thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about it on here and uh, i'll give you a plug on twitter some point too thank you and um, thanks for being on the show gareth you've been an absolute star um my absolute and utter pleasure thank you very much mark cheers john and cheers andrew and thank, you, thank you very much and you're, you're always welcome to come again uh, whenever you like Cool. Thanks, man. Uh, and I suppose we're going to sign off with the not that town for now. Just a simple see you. Thanks. Take care, Gareth. Bye. Gareth, bye. bye. So there you have it. Gareth Jones, absolute legend. And thank you very much, sir, for coming on the show. And I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Since this recording, Gareth has become a friend and has been a guest on the show a few times. He's even an honorary crew member on TGP Nominal, our science facts and science fiction based podcast. Back in 2016, Adri and I were invited to be part of the audience for the Gareth Jones on Speed Live 10th anniversary show and met up with him afterwards for a chat. Everybody, we, we are here in uh, North London, in uh, Islington, in a pub called the Islington. Very confusingly, yes. <laughs> and I'm with the uh, one and only Gareth Jones, who, if, if you're a regular listener to The Garbage Pod, we spoke to um, a couple of years ago now. Was it really? The last yeah. time we spoke? Yeah. That's not good. <laughs> should be more often. And uh, he appeared on an episode in which we entitled The First Welshman on the Moon. Yep, that was me. <laughs> Where it will be. And uh, we, we have been talking through Twitter for, for, for a little while and uh, it's just amazing to, to be here tonight for your well, uh, anniversary show. Thank you for coming. We, you know, we have no concept of how people receive our programme. You know, we just make it because we think it's a good idea and it's what we do. You know, Zog, Rich and I want to get together. We want to talk about cars and people uh, seem to want to download what we do. I know. And so to give a bit of thanks, to have a bit of a party, to do it with the audience with us, that was the most exquisite feeling. And then to play some of our songs, was it was a treat. It was a bigger treat for us than it was for you. And, and with one of your one of your mates from from the band that you uh, yeah yeah a roadie well all, all the people in the band uh, are genuinely important people to me Eddie I've known like I said 37 years uh, Steve Allen I've known 38 years um, uh, Melissa was my girlfriend a quarter of a century ago <laughs> Anna and I have been pals since 1985 Freddie the bass player I knew him before he was born because I know his mum and dad. Uh, and Eric uh, I borrowed to be our drummer for a song about uh, five years ago for On Speed and I thought right he is my drummer and then Zog and Richard were so competent at doing what they do as well yeah, it's yeah. just I couldn't be happy 
And the thing is, I've heard other people saying the same outside, that it's not necessarily about the content, it's the chemistry between you yeah, three. Yeah, I agree. Um, we, uh, we talk about the same stuff that you guys talk about as car fans. Yeah. But when Richard says it, it's funny. <laughs> Whatever it is. And when Zog makes an observation, it's you know, genuinely correct and very funny. <laughs> and I am very grateful to have two really good mates. You know, these are my, arguably my best mates in the world here. And uh, you'd think after 10 years of doing On Speed, we would have A, run out of things to talk about, or B, be bored about what we're talking about. But none of those things are true. You know, we, we still have fun and we know that, that, that stands because you know the, the, the downloads are still going up for the program it's still climbing which is glorious thank you oh, that's brilliant it's it is amazing to be here and to, to see that the the emotion that you when you, you had when you were, were performing up there tonight oh I cried my eyes out <laughs> yesterday in rehearsals um, you know I imagine these songs with, with Richard and Zog and they exist in my head um, then I record them at home and I sort of play everything and do the backing vocals on Saga Richard do bits but to have a real band do it and then when real singers like Melissa and Anna get behind the songs they sang a line yesterday and just floods of tears crying my eyes out you know it was you know you have hopes and dreams and ambitions and when they're realised it just breaks you down really yeah, I'm a Welshman I cry a lot anyway <laughs> But it, uh, I mean tonight. I mean we hear what, what's on the podcast, but to to have that and actually have the feedback straight away is oh unbelievable. But when we do the program at home, we kind of hope and imagine that people are entertained by what we say. To do it in a room where people laugh and cheer at those moments is yeah devastating is the wrong word, but leveling definitely leveling. That's it because as as you know, being a podcaster, it's until you start getting that feedback you don't know what people are thinking no no so. no you can rely on twitter i had a good uh, a good indication from uh, social media that we're doing it right because of the sort of responses we get mm -hmm. but it's nothing like being in a room with people oh no that's you should true. do the next garbage post like this oh uh, we've written any songs about that actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's absolutely brilliant night and um another 10 years I think that's up to uh, three other people. <laughs> I think it's up to Richard and Zog and Violet, of course. If Violet doesn't mind these two boys coming around to my house and drinking beer, eating pizza and talking nonsense about cars for another ten years, and they don't mind doing it, okay. I certainly don't. Brilliant. Well, it's been an honour to meet you, sir, uh, after after all these me, years. Me, I feel like I know you. We've never actually met, but yeah. I feel like I know you, Mark. Yeah, really. It's the same. It's the same. Yeah. I mean, we had a wonderful time when you came on last, and uh, so we only thought that uh, we should uh, Thank no you. return the favour and uh, well, come tonight. See you in ten years. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Gareth. The saying goes, never meet your heroes. Well, Gareth certainly is an exception to that rule.
Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spamheadproductions.weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of The Garbage Pod. Be sure to visit thegarbagepod.weebly.com for the show notes for this or any other episode. Just look for the relevant tab on the menu. If you want to get in touch with us, then send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. The Garbage Pod is a Spamhead production.